love Rihanna, so I'm here to support. Do as I do and not as I say. So just being aware of what you're putting in your body, on your body. Less is more. More is not more when it comes to skincare. Don't do it. Welcome to our Vanity Lab, a podcast about the beauty of science and marketing by a makeup-loving cosmetic chemist and a skincare-obsessed marketing expert. Each week, we deliver industry news like debunking myths, confirming facts, and let you in on the tea you didn't even know you wanted to know. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Emmy, and you're listening to Vanity Lab. Hello and welcome to our Vanity Lab. Today we will be delving into if there is an association between the use of contraceptives and cosmetics, why different types of acne require different treatments, and how we feel about microneedling at home. Laura, you recently sent over an article from Cosmetic and Toiletries that was an initial finding of association between the use of contraceptives and cosmetics. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about the article and then we can kind of go into what we thought about it. So what the article states is that people on the pill spend less time and wear less overall makeup than women not on the pill. And there was also a smaller subset indicated that women in relationships were less likely to be on the pill than women who were single. But the overall study was a very preliminary study. It was like based off of a very small sample population. And I think you want to go into that more. Yeah. So I want to also like indicate that it was a really small sample population. I think the normal study was only 136. And then um, the smaller one was like maybe a third of that, if even. And it took place in France and not the U.S. So there could also be cultural differences, but there's also a lot of reasons to go on the pill besides sexual health and um, reproduction. It helps regulate hormones so that can help minimize any PMS or PCOS symptoms. It also helps with hormonal acne. For instance, like I went on it in high school and it was the only thing that helped with my hormonal acne breakouts. And then as for the smaller study showing like initial findings of pill use based on relationship status, it's not a fully fledged study that actually indicates correlation since it's too small of a sample and there are alternative variables like weren't discussed at all. So the women in relationships could be, or the women actually in relationships could be on non-pill contraceptive forms or trying for a family. And so like none of those variables were discussed, but I don't know about you um, in terms of like the overall initial study. It does make sense to me that, you know, women on the pill might spend less time using cosmetics just because they have less hormonal acne to cover up. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I know personal experience myself. I am on the pill and it has extremely held my acne, my hormonal acne. Like when I'm on that time of the month, when I'm on my period, my acne is a lot less than it was prior to being on the pill. And so, yeah, I completely agree. I do honestly spend less time wearing makeup. I don't go for the full coverage foundation anymore. I'm more of like a tinted moisturizer type of girl now. So it completely makes sense. What about you, Emmy? Um, Same. So in my day to day, I have a lot less like hormonal breakouts since, you know, one switching on the pill and then getting a very fully fledged skincare routine that is suited to my individual skincare like concerns and my skin type. I hardly ever wear concealer, um, you know, that which is nice. <laughs> but I think this is a great segue into, you know, like our main topic of acne and like what causes acne and like the different types. All right. So first, I just want to go over exactly what causes acne and how some people are just more susceptible to getting acne than others. Some major factors contributing to the development of acne includes an increased sebum production, increased androgen activity, an abnormal increase in the keratin site production, microbial colonization of the pilosebaceous unit by a bacteria called P. 
acnes, which is a bacteria that naturally lives on the skin. But if you have a colonization, you will get acne from that. In addition, you can just get inflammation and any other immune reaction. And some of these factors is caused by hormones. As I mentioned, androgen activity is one of the reasons why you get acne and hormones comes from that. Androgen is a male hormone, which can also be found in the women's blood, but in a smaller amount. But the androgen levels tend to increase in boys and girls during puberty, which causes the sebaceous glands to enlarge and produce more sebum, hence also getting more acne. In addition, diet can also influence the introduction or aggravation of acne can be observed over the past like couple years. We have noticed this a lot, but there's no evidence to date that does not demonstrate that diet causes acne, but it can aggravate or promote it. So just kind of being aware of what you're putting in your body and on top of your body is a big thing. In addition, sunlight can also affect acne. Light therapy is an acne treatment that's also been studied. However, it's not clear whether UV radiation or visible light worsens or improves acne, but it is is a way to treat acne if that is what's best for you. Another misconception that is out there that I honestly believed myself in high school was that the reason that I was getting acne was that my face wasn't clean enough. So then I went out and I excessively washed my face, I excessively exfoliated my face, and that's not the case. A nice gentle cleanser morning and night will be suffice to keeping your face clean. In addition, another big thing that people used to believe was that makeup causes acne, and that's not necessarily the case either. If you are allergic to a certain ingredient that may cause irritation or inflammation of the skin, but it's not going to cause you to have acne. And there are also just a lot of additional factors that can also cause acne, including stress, genetic factors, medications. So just being aware of what you're putting in your body, on your body, and all that kind of stuff so that you're aware of potential reasons why you're getting acne. But as always, please consult your physician or your dermatologist if you're just having a lot of issues. Next, I want to go over the different types of acne that can be present on the skin and that way you can identify what type of acne you have. That way you know how to treat it. We have two types of acne. We have non-inflammatory acne and we have inflammatory acne. Non-inflammatory acne would be your blackheads. These are known as open comedones. They are follicles that have a wider opening filled with sebum and dead cells. Whiteheads are known as closed comedones, which occurs in the follicle and they remain closed. It's a non-inflammatory lesion. However, it's most likely to progress into an inflammatory acne at some point. There are four types of inflammatory acne. The first is papules. There are small rays, usually red tender bumps under the skin. Then we have pustules, which are the red tender bumps that have the white pus at the tips. While fighting the infection of the acne, white blood cells die and create pus, which is why you have that white tip. And that is what is normally referred to as a pimple. Third type we have is a nodule. It's a deeper lesion and it's similar to a papule, but it's a rupture of the follicle. And these nodules are hard to touch and they're painful than other types. And the fourth type we have is probably the worst of them all. It's a cyst. It's a large pus-filled lesion, which results in severe inflammatory reaction. And this is the kind that normally causes intense scarring and hyperpigmentation. Amazing. So thank you, Laura, for like explaining all of those different types of acne. A lot of them can be classed in grades one through four. And depending on those grades, that will kind of like help you determine like what the best over-the-counter ingredients might help. Some of the most common ones are benzoyl peroxide, salicylic acid, glycolic acid, um, topical retinoids, resorcimol sulfur, and topical antibiotics. So benzoyl peroxide is usually one of the um, the first recommendations that a dermatologist will make, especially if you have grades one or two, because it, it essentially works by um, killing the bacteria in the pore. So benzoyl peroxide, because of this, usually 
shows the fastest results of all these over-the-counter products. You can sometimes see results within five days just because it's killing the bacteria that causes the acne. There are pros and cons to it as always. You know, overusing it, it comes in um, percentages of I think 2.5, 5, and 10%. So if you're using a higher percentage than you should for your level of acne, it can cause drying, redness, and flaking. And then it can also bleach anything that um, you come into contact with. So your t-shirts, your sheets, your hair. (laughs) But it is a really effective and quick working treatment. So that's why it's dermatologist loved. Usually they'll kind of put you on that. And if it's not working, move you on to something different. Another great OTC ingredient for, you know, grades one and two are salicylic acid, which is a beta hydroxy acid. And essentially that helps remove the dead skin cells at the top of the stratum corneum that are clogging the pores. So sometimes your dermatologist will have you use the benzoyl peroxide in conjunction with salicylic acid, not necessarily at the same time. Another great option are alpha hydroxy acids, which kind of clear out the clogged pore. And so it inside out versus salicylic outside in clearing. And a lot of like my go-to acne treatments are a salicylic and glycolic acid like combination serum. Basically, then you are going to be treating that like dead skin layer as well as like clearing out your pore without the, you know, drying and um, like potential bleaching side effects that you'll get with benzoyl peroxide. You can also use salicylic and glycolic at certain percentages at the same time. So that's a really great treatment for grades one and two. Then you can get into your topical retinoids and those differ from, you know, benzoyl peroxide and like AHAs and BHAs because it works from the dermis app. So it actually penetrates down into the DEJ, so the dermal epidermal junction, and it encourages skin growth and like the normalization of skin like cell turnover. So it'll go down until your like keratinocytes or your melanocytes or your fibroblasts, so your collagen structures to actually grow properly and at like the right speed and growth. So that'll really help with um, like cystic acne too. But you won't see results for up to like three months. So that's like one of those like long haul. You got to use it properly, not too much. You're going to want to like work your way up to it because otherwise, again, you'll see some of those side effects like dryness, redness, flaking. So moisturize after that. Some not as common ones and they're usually used after trying the other ones are resourceful and sulfur. Usually they're going to be seen as like spot treatments. Like for example, in sulfur, one of the ones that comes to the top of my head is that um, Kate Somerville um, drying lotion that you like stick a Q-tip in and you get to the sulfur part and then you like spot it on your your like whiteheads or blackheads or papules. And then you can get into like, t- like topical antibiotics. So that would be like any kind of like steroidal creams that are prescribed by your dermatologist. Um, for example, I use like that usually when I have like an outbreak of my periodontitis, if it's triggered by like any SLS toothpaste. So if you want to hear more about that, feel free to head back over to our sulfates episode if you haven't given that to listen yet. But I know there are a lot of other systemic treatments just from over the counter and then other options too, if you want to go into that, Laura. Yeah, I also want to make sure that Everybody knows that benzoyl peroxide, salicylic acid, and many of these over-the-counter treatments are FDA approved. They're generally recognized as safe and effective. So if people are concerned that it's going to like cause them harm to them for what, any way, shape, or form, they are generally recognized safe and effective by the FDA. So you shouldn't be too concerned about it. Just make sure you know about your skin and what sensitivity and all that kind of stuff. And they're not overusing them. <laughs> um, oh, like the sure. thing is you don't want to use too many actives all at once um, because things can be too active. Reminder that less is more, more is not more when it comes to skincare. 
Exactly. And fun fact, let me tell you a little story from high school. I was definitely that girl that would got scammed by proactive on those fucking infomotions infomotions marshals infomotions marshmallows <laughs> in i got scammed by those infomotions on tv and i definitely was like oh i want clear skin like justin bieber and so i went and got proactive and i believe their treatment is benzoyl peroxide and i wasn't clear on exactly how to use it because i threw away the box and didn't read the instructions and i definitely put so much product on my pimple where it was just like a like a blob of like white cream on my forehead. They look like craters. I'm not even kidding you. I look like I had craters on my forehead and it was not worth it. I wasted money. It didn't work because I used the product completely incorrectly. So make sure you're also reading the directions because less is more. You only need to put a little bit on. A little goes a super long way. So just wanted to put that in there. If it makes you feel any better, and I think we've talked about this on other podcasts, you are not the only one who overdid it in high school because they didn't know better. <laughs> um, I had a terrible run-in with St. Ives exfoliating scrub um, and definitely over-exfoliated my skin and ruined my skin cell barrier. Um, <laughs> like, I was dry and flaky, so I just needed to exfoliate more, right? No, no. I want to, like, go back and slap myself. <laughs> I definitely use the Saint I the Saint Ives the Saint Ives apricot scrub or whatever too. I use that with my proactive. Like let me tell you, I was doing way too much to my skin. I was like, why is it red? Why is it inflamed? I just need to clean it. And it was it was clean. It was clean enough. It was so clean that it it got irritated. <laughs> I have pores can sell barriers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were like, dude, dude, quit it. Stop it. That's why we're red. Well, okay. I, I will say, I think that, you know, going through that experience probably is why we're so into skincare and beauty. Um, so at least some good came out of it. Exactly. But not to digress too much, let's go into some more of the systemic treatments that are available for us. As much as we love over-the-counter products like salicylic acid and benzoyl peroxide, sometimes they just don't work for everybody. So there are also systemic treatments that can be effective, such as oral antibiotics. And this has been used for many years for those with moderate to severe acne. And typically they help. They have antimicrobial um, agents and anti-inflammatory effects, which helps reduce redness. In addition, since acne can be produced with the P. acne's bacteria, it will help reduce the bacteria on top of your skin. In addition, this is often used with other topical products that we mentioned prior, like the benzoyl peroxide and the retinoids. So it's often used in conjunction with other products. The next type we have is hormonal therapy. It is a very useful therapy, common, commonly used in women with moderate to severe acne. Um, this is commonly known as an oral con- contraceptive or the pill. It helps. This will help regulate your hormones. That way you produce less hormonal acne. There are a ton of side effects to it. So obviously, please, please, please consult your physician, consult your doctor if this is something that's good for you, good for your body. If you're one of those people that do get a lot of acne whenever they're on their period, that time of the month, sometimes just sometimes hormonal therapy is just going to be more effective for you because since if your acne is producing because of hormones, controlling your hormones is going to be the best answer. In addition, we have isotretinin, which is also known as Accutane, which is an extremely powerful medication that's used for severe acne and that doesn't, when you don't normally respond to the other types of therapies that we mentioned prior from hormonal 
to using just the normal over-the-counter type products. So this is something you, of course, would need to consult your doctor because there are a ton of side effects that goes on and on and on. And so if you are going to go into using Accutane, please be sure to consult your physician. But it is an effective way to remove severe and that cystic acne. In addition to systemic treatments, there are additional just quote unquote other treatments. You can do chemical peels that are AHA based. This will help resurface the skin. You have comedone extractions that essentially they're squeezing the pimple out of your face in a more effective way that's clean and sterile. Another treatment that you can go through to help reduce your acne are optical therapies. Um, this is your blue light treatment, your red light treatment. You can do until intense pulse light, pulsated light lasers, um, photodynamic therapy, pulse diode lasers. There's so many ways to use optical therapy to help improve acne. And so this works really, really well for some people. In addition, there are also like other therapies that people use. Um, there's herbal therapies. You can use like aloe and tea tree oil and these, these things. These things are effective for some people, but not for all. Um, whatever, there are some like data saying that it does help acne, but for some people it doesn't. So it's one of those things where you just need to know your body and what type of ingredients work well with your skin. Same with dietary restrictions. Some people choose not to eat dairy, which is 100% fine if that's helping your acne, but everybody's different. So don't think just because you're going to go dairy free, you're going to not have any more acne because it's just based on your own body, your own human, the way your body reacts to different things. So if you go non-dairy and your acne is still there, then dairy probably isn't what's causing your acne or what's inflaming it further. So be sure that you are, be sure that you're being cautious of what you're putting in your body and that what works for somebody will not necessarily work for you. Just keep, it's almost just like a trial and error type of situation you just need to determine what therapies and what ingredients and what products are going to work best for you because your skin is different. You have, depending on your type of skin, the climate you're in and all that kind of stuff and what you're eating and what you're not eating. So again, underscoring that skincare is a very individual um, process. You know, what works for someone won't necessarily work for another person. If you're not getting your advice directly from your dermatologist or your skincare professional, you're going to at least want to find someone with, you know, the same skin types and concerns that you have. And then as it goes into like herbal, I think herbal supplements are going to be a little bit more like included into the dietary restriction or addition even. I know a lot of people will treat, try treating it with like acu or acupuncture also, which, um, you know, again, not a lot of proven studies, but it has helped for some people anecdotally. With dietary restriction, if you are cutting out dairy, one thing you really want to make sure, your source of protein. So if you're taking any like supplemental protein, like protein shakes or um, protein powder, and you are trying to like weed out your dairy because that will be a trigger for your acne, make sure you're not using whey products because that can, you know, really trigger breakouts. So you'll want to look more at like vegan proteins from like pea powder. Yeah, that's some really good advice. One really interesting thing when it comes to acne that people also struggle with, not only when it comes to having the pimple, it's that like once the pimple is gone, there's also scarring. Sometimes you have hyperpigmentation. And I know, Emmy, you have a lot of advice to give on this. What do you think people should be doing in terms of helping reduce their scarring and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Okay. So um, a lot of the times like dealing with acne, you're not just like dealing with the active breakouts, you're dealing with the repercussion once the healing starts be like to begin. So after your like actual blemish is gone, it you can still be dealing with like scarring that will happen because of like the size of the pustule or the papula, especially with like cystic acne. Um, any inflammation, you know, dryness from any of the acne treatments you used or any like post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. And so that can actually be anything from like redness 
from the actual inflammation and like the after inflammation effects because inflammation begets inflammation and it kind of just like keeps going <laughs> until it's like done to actual like melasma. Um, so some of the treatment products that you can like do to help prevent those. So um, one of my favorite treatment products for, you know, helping all of the above are actual like antioxidants like vitamin C. So vitamin C is... Um, <laughs> vitamin C is amazing and we love it and it's great. Put it on your face. So some things that you can preventively use to um, help the after effects of your acne breakouts. So your, you know, your scarring, your dry skin, your post-inflammatory um, hyperpigmentation, which can be redness or melasma, either one, the inflammation after the fact. My go-to one is usually a vitamin C. Vitamin Cs are great because they're, you know, great antioxidants. It helps with inflammation. It helps, um, you know, brighten your complexion. One thing you want to be careful about is um, sometimes the vitamin C, depending on which specific ingredient it is, whether it's like L-scorpic acid or ascorbates is that you're storing it properly. So I recommend keeping it out of direct light, out of direct heat. Some people even store it in their refrigerator, which I think is great. It's a little extra, but I'm here for it. (laughs) Um, It really helps you get like the most out of it long term without it like oxidizing, you know, becoming unstable due to heat damage. Like anything like olive leaf extract or, or aloe will really help with like the inflammation and redness. And for like further hyperpigmentation ingredients, some great ones are like kojic acid, willow bark extract, with the, which is actually like salicylic acid. Niacinamide is also known as um, vitamin B3, which really helps with your microcirculation. Lactic acid, which is actually probably one of the, the more gentle acids you can use on your skin. It's a larger molecule weight, so it doesn't go as deep into your, your skin. And then glycolic acid, which, you know, again, you kind of want to like work your way up towards using if you haven't used it previously. But all of those are really great at, um, you know, regulating the skin cell turnover process and helping kind of get rid of like that scarring and preventing that scarring from actually occurring. Then there are a bunch of spot treatments that we like previously talked about um, for your actual acne for the post acne. And then there are a lot of like in office treatments that you have options to like microneedling is a really great one to have done for scarring. However, microneedling is something you definitely want to do in office whenever possible, because there are a lot of like bad things that can happen when you're doing it at home and you're not informed and you don't know the proper way to do it. So Laura and I both follow a dermatologist on um, TikTok and we regularly send his reactions to kind of the skinfluencers TikTok. And um, Laura, do you want to talk about the one that we most recently were sending back and forth? So this TikTok video is by 208 Skin Doc or Dr. Dustin Porletta. If I said his name wrong, I apologize. Um, he's a dermatologist and he reacted to another skin influencer. Her name is Rich Mom. And she was explaining how she likes to microstamp at home to like help plump up her skin without fillers and make her skin like brighter, fuller, all that kind of stuff. And he went in and said, so he was basically mentioning that you shouldn't always be microstamping at home because it could be extremely dangerous, especially if you're storing it in your bathroom. You need to make sure that it's sterile, that it's clean, and that there's so many negative things that can happen if you're not properly taking care of yourself and the skin. And some of the ingredients that are being applied on top of or with the microstamping are these formulations are not supposed to be reaching deeper than the epidermis layer. So sometimes you can have adverse reactions and we don't want that. It's not in a clean, sterile environment, which is what 
is more ideal for something like this. And he was very advocating saying that make sure you're doing this at a dermatologist's office or esthetician's office that's clean and sterile and all that kind of stuff. But I know people, no matter what you say or what you do, they're still going to choose to microstamp at home. And I know, Emmy, you have kind of a take on this. What do you what do you feel? While I personally microstamp at home, that is not what I professionally recommend. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. So one of the reasons why microneedling in office is so much more effective because one, you know, it's sterile and two, just the, um, the technology and the actual equipment they have access to. So the microneedling in office is going to be applied a lot effectively than the dermal roller you'll have access to at home. So in office, it's stereotypically um, going to be a needle that is penetrating specifically perpendicular to the skin. That actually encourages um, the collagen growth to be a lot more perfect. So especially if you're treating scarring, you're going to want to have it done in office because it will do will be perpendicular to the skin as well as actually be deeper than what you should be doing at home. Furthermore, you want to be really, really careful with any of the formulations that you're applying to because this is an ablative procedure. So when you're going in to get it like the procedure done at the doctor, they're going to give you a post-procedure skincare routine. So anything that they recommend um, can be applied to skin that has like open wounds. A lot of the um, products that you have access to at home, you don't know if it's if it's safe to be systemic. Um, you don't know if it's safe to actually be penetrating that deep. There could be a lot of contraindications and adverse reactions that you would get from that, not even counting the fact that, you know, you're making controlled like wounds on your skin. <laughs> so there's a lot of risk of like infection as well. So you really want to be careful in, you know, any of the products that you're applying, regardless of whether you do microneedling at home or in the office, um, you want to make sure that those are safe to be applied to skin that has open wounds um, that haven't re-epithelialized yet. And um, when I say re-epithelialist, I mean the skin has like healed over. It's not like a, an open wound or, or scabbed anymore. However, I know some of you who will do as I do and not as I say <laughs> and will also do micro um, needling or stamping at home. So if you are doing that, some things that I can recommend just to make it as safe as possible. If you have a dermatologist or skincare professional, let them know what you're doing and ask their advice. Two, make sure the device that you're using at home is completely sterilized both before and after use. Make sure to hold skin taut while applying it. And I actually really recommend not using one of the rollers. Basically with the roller, you're not going to get that perpendicular to the skin wound that you would be getting with a stamp. So uh, if you have to make the choice, I would recommend the micro stamping over the micro needling. Like Nurse Jamie has a micro stamp. That's actually the one I have. And again, don't use any formulations that aren't meant to be systemic because you're creating a wound, you're microneedling at depths that um, would allow penetration a lot deeper than these are formulated and regulated for. So you could have adverse reactions, which is not good. I only use products afterwards that are actually specifically formulated for um, post-ablative procedures. And you can ask your dermatologist and um, skincare professional which one they recommend. Yeah, I know you, Emmy, like you like micro stamping at home, which is great. I am one of those people who are like, don't do it. You go to your dermatologist if you really want to get it done. It just, it just is a lot to like kind of think about. And when you're trying to like 
debate whether doing micro stamping or micro needling or not. So my personal opinion, go see a dermatologist, go see your professional, make sure you're in a sterile, clean environment, all that kind of stuff. But people are going to do this at home regardless. So I'd rather just give us tips, give you guys tips on like what to do if you're going to do it anyways. But I still want to promote, go see your dermatologist and do it. Agreed. Um, you're going to get better results from having your dermatologist do it anyway. Once again, um, they have the better equipment than you can even buy at home and it's going to happen in a sterile environment. And the needles are actually usually deeper at there. So you're going to get better results. So, you know, no matter what you're feeling on micro needling or micro stamping, depending on which version of the device that you lean towards, you know, it's one of those things that no matter what you do, be informed, make your decision and just stay in touch with your dermatologist on um, the best post-procedure routine for you. Now that we're done talking about our micro needling, micro stamping, whatever you want to call it, let's go into our low-key and high-key products for the week. Emmy, what's your low-key product? So my low-key product this week is the Ferreo Luna device. You might be familiar with kind of gimmicky in the fact that a lot of people think they look like small sex toys. <laughs> but basically what they are is they're a microsonic silicone-based like facial scrubber. Not to be confused with like the Clarisonic brush heads, which I feel are a lot more exfoliating. Basically the microsonic in the Ferreo um, really helps break up clogged pores or anything in your pores. Specifically love the Ferreo Luna just because it's very like small and portable and like fits in my like gym bag, but is really great at helping me get rid of like blackheads and spacious filaments, specifically in the tiny little crevice between like your nose and where your cheek starts, which is like usually kind of really hard to like get into. I have one that I got for like $3 at an Asian store in Vietnam. Oh, it's like that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ghetto. Like it's not, it's not fancy. <laughs> It's not $107. Well, okay. So one thing is if you're interested in looking into that, I would recommend looking at like the Luna Play Plus, which has a replaceable battery and its price point is like $49 versus like the Luna Play, which is only $39 and it only has 100 uses and no replaceable battery. So $10 more, you get to like have a replaceable battery and use it like more often. But again, you can probably find one at an Asian market pretty easily if you would like to go check out what yes <laughs> i definitely got one i was a cheap booty and i i did it i got a cheap one and i like it but it's like not amazing i only use it when i'm like wearing makeup and i want to like really get everything off you know yeah i but i don't use it on the daily I, okay yeah i don't use mine on the daily i use mine maybe like once every week once every two weeks basically whenever i feel that like bumpy feeling on my nose i only use it whenever i've decided to wear foundation and i'm like wow i really gotta get this off <laughs> All right. So Laura, what's your low-key product? So my low-key product is by Fenty Beauty and it is their kilowatt highlighter. I have the shade Mean Money and Hustla Baby. Um, what I really love about this is that they're, they have two, it's a duo component. One is like a softer highlight, one's a stronger highlight. And I've been lately using the softer highlight or the shade Mean Money as actually my under eye setting powder because I like a little shimmer because I'm super dry and it's not like super, super shimmery and glittery or anything like that. It's a very like a low sheer powder and it has a little bit of glow to it, which I love. And so then when I end up putting the, my highlighter on the cheekbones, it like complements it really well. But yeah, I've been really loving this highlighter. It's super creamy. It's soft. It's just, oh, I love it. And it just makes my skin look so cute. And I'm, I love it. It's my favorite. I haven't tried any of the Fenty Beauty powder highlighter or bronzers, but pretty much everything I've used from them, I really like. That's really good. I like a lot of their products and they're pretty affordable for the most part. So, and I love Rihanna, so I'm here to support. <laughs> yeah, I will say, um, you know, you do get a really great quality for the price. Oh, definitely. High quality products for 
not low quality price, but like a decent affordable price for a more higher end product. It's pretty decent. I love it. So my high key product um, actually is very relatable to our acne podcast today, but it's the CosRx acne patches. And I think it's like $6 for 24 of the patches. So essentially these are like tiny little um, hydrocolloid um, like circles that you would apply to um, freshly cleansed skin and you put it over like your whitehead or your blackhead, noting that it does have to have like a head to the, um, the blemish in order for it to work. But it basically just like kind of like sucks in as like sucks out um, from your pore as much of the blemish as possible and just kind of gets absorbed into this like hydrocolloid band like bandage patch so i've had like small blemishes like pop up like from either hormonal acne or uh, you know a dietary or stress reason and like i've put it on before bed and like i woke up and it was maybe one-fifth of the size the next morning and like way less red so very much love these now the technology is actually getting like better and better too um i know dr jar just came out with a couple um that actually have hyaluronic acid like not spheres but like spikes so it kind of like penetrates deeper into your blemish and has active treatments into it the CosRx ones are amazing and a really good price point if it's something you're just like trying out first okay my high key product is a tried and true product that i've had for many years i used it when i was a makeup artist it was in my kit it's now in my like personal collection it is the infamous mac prep and prime I'm fixed plus. Honestly, it's too crazy when it comes to the ingredient list, but I do love it when it comes to kind of like wetting my brush. It helps like my eyeshadows go on a little bit better. It's a great like setting spray if you want to use it as that. But to be honest, if you want to use water, you can use water to like wet your brush or whatever. But I'm bougie and I like Fix Plus. There's like chamomile in there. There's a lot of like panthenol and arginine and all these like really cool ingredients in it. But Honestly, I love Fix Plus. I've used it for many years. I use it to set my makeup. I use it to wet my makeup brushes. I use it to help like actually wet my beauty blender sponge. Sometimes when I need a little bit extra like moistening of the sponge to help like put on my highlighter a little bit better, anything like that. Fix Plus tried and true product has forever been my makeup collection for since I've existed. I absolutely love it. So I love um, Fix Plus. I think it's a great product. And to underscore, like, even though it sounds like it's really bougie, there are benefits to using it to what your makeup brushes or your sponges, especially if the water in your house is like hard water. Using something like Fix Plus is a little bit more beneficial to your skin um, just because it's not having any of those minerals put directly onto your your skin and you're using something that is designed for like skin health. If you're struggling with acne, we'd love to hear about your skin journey and which products or treatments have worked best for you. If you have any acne or microneedling questions that weren't covered in the podcast today, feel free to shoot us a message at vanitylabpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice note by checking out the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening and please subscribe and rate on your preferred podcast platform. To gain access to our show notes and links that we mentioned earlier, be sure to head over to our website at www.vanitylabpodcast.com to be sure that you're staying up to date on when we're uploading and what we're uploading. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Vanity Lab Podcast. And don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, follow, whatever, which have you on whatever streaming platform that you are on. That way we continue to make content for you. And as always, the opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinions of our employers. Vanity Lab podcast is hosted by me and Emmy Lovell. All of our sound production editing is by me. Transcripts are written by Emmy Lovell and all of our music comes from Audio Jungle. Audio Jungle.